But as you get seasoned as a Christian, you've sort of gone through and you've heard all the, you've read the Bible many times and you've heard many sermons. So I don't preach as if you, you don't know this, but what's happening is the Holy Spirit is, is giving us a new inspiration to believe it. You know what I mean? Inspiring us to believe it again. Inspiring us to take a hold of it. Inspiring us not just to know it, but to live it. If people didn't need to be stimulated and reminded all the time, then there'd be no need for um, things like, you know, a coach in a basketball team or something. Because if they just know how to get inspired all on their own, there'd be no need to pump them up at half time, would there? We need to get reminded. We need to get, you know, encouraged and lifted up and say, come on, let's do this thing. It's only a short life. Come every Sunday and I'll make sure that you stay the course. And we'll keep at it, we'll keep at it, we'll keep at it. And every week, we'll just chop off one week at a time, just one week at a time. Live a holy life this week. Just let's get through this week. Let's just get to next Sunday and let's stay holy. Let's stay righteous. Let's stay focused. Get to next Sunday and we'll get another message. Pump up again and then we'll go again. So it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live it. So you've got to hear these sermons that say to you, come on, guys, pick up your game. That's, that's why God instituted the church. It's to keep us on fire for God because your flame can slowly, slowly peter out the longer. And it's just the way it is. God designed it that way. That's why he called us the body of Christ. We're meant to connect and come together. I've been really looking forward to continuing in this in this series. Um, who knows that we've been going through a lot of scripture in the last few weeks. This survey, I think, is one of the most important um, surveys that this church, I think, is ever going to do. Getting through this much of the New Testament um, and and pulling up every scripture that's related to salvation and holiness just so we can establish the truth of this doctrine by not just pulling five or six scriptures up, but pulling literally hundreds and hundreds. I've got so many scriptures at home uh, to go. Not that it's going to be this boring study, because as we go through, we're pretty well reading so much of every um, book of the Bible. It's just incredible how much uh, you're going to get uh, to understand the truth of Scripture by doing this survey. Now, if we just quickly go back to 1 Timothy. Everyone there? 1 Timothy 4.16. And it says this, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So um, this Scripture to me is powerful powerful scripture it says two things watch your life what would that be in relation to how you conduct yourself while you're on earth are you holy or are you unholy so watch your life and watch your doctrine watch what you believe watch it closely study it don't leave it to chance don't trust that just what rob's saying is the total and absolute truth go the extra mile and find out the truth now, you're going to get a lot of scripture from me. I'm going to do my best to be as truthful as I possibly can. I don't want to um, deceive anyone. I don't want to even deceive myself because it says 
if you persevere in the correct doctrine and the correct lifestyle, you'll save both yourself. So I don't want to, if I'm teaching the wrong doctrine, it could threaten my salvation and it could threaten yours. Who knows that the doctrines of Mormonism will not save you? Anyone who studied Mormonism will, will, will quickly tell you that you can't be a Mormon and get saved according to Scripture because it's a deceptive doctrine, right? Who, who has studied much about the emergent church? Has anyone studied much? I've got a great video you should, you should borrow from me and watch. Um, the emergent church denies that this is the Word of God. They said, treat it like just any other book. And this is a, a, a church, it claims to be a church, claims to be Christian. They de deny the doctrine of hell. They just say, God is love, and that's the end of the story. So fear of God is out the window as well, and a whole range of things like that. Now, when you start doing that sort of thing, when you start tearing down fundamental doctrines of the faith, you actually, you can't get saved. Because you, you, you're not standing on the word of God. You're not standing on what Jesus came to teach us. Does that make sense? And you think about it. Would Jesus be glad that someone's saying this isn't the word of God? And saying that, you know, hell doesn't exist? And all those sorts of things. You know, you can't teach those doctrines. We've got to teach what the Bible says. We've got to have at least one book or one thing in life that we can stand on and say this is is absolute right translations aside <laughs> this is absolute in the pure form of the text and i'm going to stand on this i'm going to base my life on this i'm going to hold on to this this is the rock of my salvation because if this is not the truth there's nothing else out there there's not one other book under heaven that you can look to to secure your salvation by and to know that when you die that you're going to go to a beautiful place. You know? So we can't, we've got we to hold on to this and, and never deny what it says and never think that it's, it's not true or maybe that's just uh, an interpretational error. It doesn't really mean that. You know? So let's start having a look at 1 John. We're going to get through 1 John today. That's my goal. We've been through 1 Peter and we've been through 2 Peter. Now we're going to go through 1 John. And I want you to turn to 1 John 5.13. Now 1 John, if you don't know, is near the end of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament. Just a few books before Revelation. So 1 John 5.13, and it says this. I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's saying right at the end of this book, I've written this book to you so that you may know that you have eternal life, and you could add, if you live by the words that I've written to you. Okay? So this is what the book's about. It's so that you know that you have eternal life. Now, in my opinion, was 1 Peter pretty tough last, last two weeks? 1 Peter and 2 Peter, were they pretty tough books? Pretty blunt, weren't they? Well, I reckon 1 John's the toughest, probably the toughest book in relation to salvational doctrine in the whole of the New Testament. And you're going to see why I say that uh, by the end of this sermon. Let's go to 1 John 2, verses 1 
This is going to say a very similar thing. He's going to tell, tell us why he's writing this book. He says, my dear children, everyone there? 1 John 2, 1 to 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He writes this to us so that we won't sin. Now, how's he going to achieve that? He's going to put the fear of God in us in relation to sin. He's going to make us be scared to sin, to not want to sin because of the eternal consequences of sin. Remember, Jesus died to be rid of sin, to do away with sin in the sense of so that it won't have power over us anymore. However, if we let it get power over us again, then we've got some repenting to do. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to live a righteous and holy life. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. One of the things the Holy Spirit is for is to enable us to live a righteous and holy life. Now, if you're not living a righteous and holy life, you're not living by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty well the only way I can sum it up. Does that mean you're not saved? No, it means you must repent so that the Holy Spirit can come back and empower you to live a holy and righteous life again. Yeah? But what I'm afraid of is Christians that, walk, that live a sinful, sinful life and never repent and think they're filled with the Holy Spirit but do not have the Holy Spirit and they call themselves Christian. They maybe had the Holy Spirit, but they grieved him away. And the Holy Spirit, like Venus says, hovers, waits. Right? But the Holy Spirit will not go with you into sin. Could you imagine the Holy Spirit sitting down to watch porn? Could, would you believe that someone could say to you, oh, the Holy Spirit sat with me to watch porn the other day? Or do you think that you could say, oh, the Holy Spirit came with me and we smoked pot and we took drugs? Holy Spirit's not there. Holy Spirit will not have a bar of that. The Holy Spirit won't go down to the pub with you to get drunk. So you can't be a Christian rolling drunk and say I'm a Christian honestly from your heart because the Holy Spirit is no longer speaking. You are under deception to think that at that moment. It's not to say you're not saved what I'm saying is, if you continue in that lifestyle, eventually you're going to harden your heart to God. And you're going to, it's going to get harder, and it's going to get harder, and harder, and harder, and eventually you won't want a bar of God, and you're going to deny God altogether. Does that make sense? You know, it's logical, and it's scriptural, and I'll show you where it says this stuff. Let's have a look here, too. 1 John 2, verses, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. See? So if we do sin, we have Jesus. So what do we do? We repent. We ask Jesus, you know, speak to the Father for me. Tell him, tell him I'm sorry. You know? He becomes our advocate. We have one who speaks to our Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay? That's what he is. He's, he's atoned. Propitiation means he's, he's atoned for our sins. 
we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So if you have come to know Jesus, if you know him, if, he, if you've come to believe in him and know him personally, then it says here, you obey his commands. You obey. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, these are not my words, I'm just speaking from the Bible. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. He says he's a liar. If you're not doing what Jesus commands, and you, in the next breath, say, I know him, you're a liar. You don't know him. You're claiming to know him, but you don't know him because you don't do what he commands. That's what the Bible says. Am I making that up? I'm trying not to say my own philosophy here. I'm trying to create my philosophy according to Scripture. So the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you claim to know Jesus and you continue to live in sin and not do as he commands, which he commands us to not sin, right? It says that the truth is not in you. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. If you obey his word, God's love is made complete. So living for Jesus and worshipping Jesus and all this all comes down to obedience. You can truly worship Jesus in spirit and truth if you've obeyed Jesus. If you haven't obeyed Jesus, you don't need to be worshipping right now. You need to be getting on your face in repentance. Because worship is a beautiful thing, but you need to be in truth. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? And you can't be in truth if you're living a lie of a life. If you're living a filthy life, you can't live in truth. Therefore, you can't worship in spirit and truth. You're worshipping in deception. And you know, I dare say, millions of Christians this morning are worshipping in, in a lying life, in a life that is not coming up to this. Who knows what I'm saying is true? But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. And this is how we know. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Obviously, isn't it? What have we got to do? We've got to walk as Jesus did. If we claim to be Christian, then walk like Jesus. It's as simple as that. Now these, again, I'm going to tell you, these are not my... I haven't made these conclusions and then tried to find scripture to back me up. I've made these conclusions because Scripture tells me, and when people try to tell me that you know, um, you're being legalistic by preaching holiness and all this sort of stuff, I, I, I can't agree. I'm saying, well, that means the Bible is full of legalism. But as I've always said, legalism is not holiness. When you're holy, you're not being legal. You're following the Word of God. Amen? Jesus died to make us holy holy he didn't die so that we can sin all we want and still get into heaven that's not what he died for that's a license for immorality as paul called it and paul said many times some people are preaching a license to immorality and that license now is spreading through some of the biggest churches in the world let's go to 1 john 1 8 to 10 
And it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we've got to be honest. We all need to repent from time to time if we're Christian. We do slip into sin. And I think we live in a world where it's easier to sin than not, isn't it? It's very easy. You know, you walk, drive, driving down a highway and this big billboard makes you sin the moment you look at it, you know. And uh, something comes on TV, a, a commercial comes on TV and you, you get drawn in. You, it's a, you know, something that pulls you in and creates sin in us, creates sinful thoughts. So really, the, the 21st century Christian should live a life of repentance more than any other Christian at any other time in history. So, and that's the sort of people Jesus wants. He wants humble, repentant, contrite-hearted Christians that are going to just bow the knee and even make sacrifices. You know, don't watch as much TV. You know, sacrifice. I was going to say, shut your eyes when you see the billboards, but not if you're driving along. Just don't look at the billboards if you, if you know it's coming up. So, if we confess our sins... This is the beauty of the Christian faith. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? So you've sinned, you feel terrible, you ask him to forgive you and you mean it and then he purifies us from all unrighteousness. He washes it away as if it's never happened. We don't have to dwell on it. It's as far as the east is from the west. Who's heard that preached? Yeah, our sins are as far as the east is from the west. The ones we've committed already. But what about the new ones? We've got to get them and throw them as well. Well, Jesus has to throw them for us. Amen? What I don't like is the teaching that he's done it once and that's it. He's done it past, present and future. Well, that's not true. He's, he forgives you of sins repented of. Now, what about the sins you might not know you've done? Well, there's sins that lead to death and there's sins that don't lead to death. The Bible says it's actually in this book. All right? There's weight and gravity. The big ones God makes us clearly aware of. Actually, God makes sure in his own people he covers everything. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. You know, he cares for us. You know, if we're not going to repent, then he puts us through, lets, lets us go through a trial or something to humble us, you know, to keep us humble so that we, he wakes us up so that we stop living that that life you know he allows terrible things to happen when people are living in ways that he doesn't like and it's for our benefit amen he loves us that much he disciplines his his children if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar so don't claim you haven't sinned acknowledge it because if you claim you haven't sinned you're making making jesus you're making god out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives so we've got to be honest Amen. But is that all it says? That if you sin, you get forgiven. There's a bit more to it. And this is why he wrote this book, because the, um, the, the idea behind 1 John is not to just let us know, hey, if you sin, you can repent. The idea behind it is to get you to not sin, to get the church to a point when they can live a pure and holy life all the time and not sin, right? That's the intention of the book, and you're going to see that very clearly. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, if we go to there, that says this. Do not love the world 
or anything in the world. I have to tell you the truth. I struggle with that one. I struggle in that one. Look, if I was in a war-torn country, I'd hate the world. You know, it'd be easy. But when you're in a country like where we are and everything's good, and, you know, we enjoy the going out, we enjoy our friendship groups, we enjoy the, the Saturday afternoon parties at our mate's house, and you know what I mean? When we have all these good things, we, we can enjoy the world, you know? I don't think there'd be a woman here that doesn't enjoy going to the shops. Walking down Marion Shopping Centre. Well, Vina doesn't like Marion Shopping Centre. But it's, that's a hard one, isn't it? So in a way, we've got, to, we've got to try to understand what he means by the love of the world. And look, I, I believe it could be the love of all the material things that we get. It could, the, and the world system and, and a whole range of things. But I'm, I'm not prepared to go into that too far. I probably should have to prepare a whole sermon on that. And it might be a good one to look into so that we can, even though we can be in the world and we can love being with people and, and different things, but we understand what that line is, what that fine line is when we've gone too far into the world that we can say, hang on, I'm being really worldly. I'm, I'm in love with the world if I continue down that path. Do you know what I mean? We need to have a bit of a clear line in that because it's pretty murky. Who, who believes? It feels pretty murky. I don't know when I'm loving the world and when I'm not. So that would be a good one to do a, a message on. But 2.15 to 17... Losing my spot. Okay, and it says, So do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's really important that we actually we work that one out. Because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. That's scary, guys. That's scary. How many of us deeply love the world? We won't admit it, but we probably deeply love the world. It's... Anyway, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and what he does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world's and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Remember Peter said that, um, about how when the world's going to be destroyed in the return of Christ? And he said, seeing as though the whole world's going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. We ought to live holy and godly lives. Do you know, this, is a, this scripture here, this is a point of where we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit all the time so we know that we can differentiate between the love of the world and, and the love of, of, of Jesus Christ and not fall too far into one or, or in, into the bad one into the world now let's go to 1 John 2 20 and it says but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth that's why when I preach this to you and, and you hear the scriptures stated you don't argue the point you go all oh, the scriptures stated you know what I mean because you all know the truth I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. And I could add, I do not preach to you because you don't know the truth. You know, I, I believe really what, what happens when, as, a, as a pastor and what pastors really are for and teachers is 
when you're a new Christian, actually a lot of what you get taught is new. Amen? You get a lot of stuff, you go, wow, I didn't see that, I didn't know that. But as you get seasoned as a Christian, you've sort of gone through and you've heard all the, you've read the Bible many times and you've heard many sermons. So I don't preach as if you, you don't know this, but what's happening is the Holy Spirit is, is giving us a new inspiration to believe it. You know what I mean? Inspiring us to believe it again. Inspiring us to take a hold of it. Inspiring us not just to know it, but to live it. You know? Who knows that um, knowledge is just simply knowledge, but wisdom is knowledge applied. Yeah? So it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live it. So you've got to hear these sermons that say to you, come on, guys. Pick up your game. You know? If, 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 if people didn't need to be stimulated and reminded all the time, then there'd be no need for um, things like, you know, a coach in a basketball team or something. I just watched Alicia play basketball yesterday. There's no need for a coach because if they just know how to get inspired all on their own, there'd be no need to pump them up at half time, would there? But they do. Do we need pumping up? We need to get reminded. We need to get, you know, encouraged and lifted up and say, come on, let's do this thing. It's only a short life. Come every Sunday and I'll make sure that you stay the course. And we'll keep at it, we'll keep at it, we'll keep at it and every week we'll just chop off one week at a time, just one week at a time. Live a holy life this week. Just let's get through this week. Let's just get to next Sunday and let's stay holy, let's stay righteous, let's stay focused. Get to next Sunday and we'll get another message, pump up again and then we'll go again. We may need a second message in the week sometimes, like a Wednesday night meeting on. Well, it's prayer at the moment, isn't it? I should keep it prayer. But um, you know what I mean? We need that. We need it because we forget. Amen? That's, that's why God instituted the church. It's to keep us on fire for God because your flame can slowly, slowly peter out the longer. And it's just the way it is. God designed it that way. That's why he called us the body of Christ. We're meant to connect and come together okay let's keep going 1 John 2 28 to 29 and it says and now dear children continue in him he's pumping up he's pumping up this church he's saying continue in him continue in him don't look away now this is back in the early church this is the the church that is considered one of the you know when the church was the best it could be they were still getting pumped up they still needed to get pumped up. Come on, guys, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You know, how many, how many of you could confess that, the, that there would be periods in your Christianity where if Jesus returned that day, you would feel ashamed before him? Yeah? I know there'd be many times. I'm so glad Jesus hasn't come, you know, a few years ago. I would have been in a real bad place. You know, caught in the act sort of thing. But we've got to remind ourselves, Jesus is coming. Now, this imminent return of Jesus' teaching, I don't fully agree with that. I believe there's prophetic uh, scriptures that must be fulfilled before he can come. But that's not to say that we can't depart from this planet early, earlier than expected, and suddenly it says, you know, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and destined for a man to die once and then to face judgment we don't want to be found you know in a situation where we're we're going to be ashamed before him 
And that's why he's saying it. Stay with this. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's getting down to the real... That's where this doctrine is really, really kicking in. Everyone who do, does what is right has been born of him. You know... I actually believe you can be born into God and you can actually you can choose not to be part of the family. Who knows that you know, some children born into a family, you raise them and then they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore and they just cut off. Just because we've been born again doesn't mean that we are, Jesus is going to hold us prisoners. Jesus is not going to hold us against his will, against your will. He wants his children to love him and come to him with all their heart. Amen? That's, that's the obvious. And that's what I'm getting from what I'm reading here. 1 John 3, 2 to 10. So we've got a little bit to read. And it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. It's talking about the imperishable body there. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Did you get that? Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So you want to get pure? Then we've got to remember that what we will be has not yet been made known. So this is but a seed of what we truly are. Many people get caught up that this is it. This is all I've got. You know what I mean? It's all about the now, the self. Yet this body is a seed of our future bodies. And how different, when you look at a seed to the plant, do they look a little different? Yeah, so we don't even know what we're going to look like. Yeah, it's going to be, gonna, I think we're going to look pretty freaky. You know, if, if we came in in our imperishable bodies, we'd be worshipped in this world because it would be the most magnificent thing you've ever seen so we don't even know and it says dear children now we are children of God and what has been has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears when Jesus appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he really is and everyone who has this hope purifies himself you get pure by considering the return of christ you purify yourself and everything that you do in your day if it becomes according to the light of jesus return in accordance with this coming judgment in according with coming before a holy god amen that's how we get pure we get purified by that Everyone, this is verse 4, everyone who sins, now I want you to really hear these words because this is where John gets really hard. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And then John adds, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. There's no one. If you're in him, you don't sin. No one who continues to sin, 
who continues to live a lifestyle of sin has either seen him or known him. If you live a lifestyle of sin, you don't even know him. Should that be preached in church? Guys, should that be left out? Do you know what? Of all the years I went to church in, in Pentecostal kind of churches, I never heard anyone preach on that scripture. The most, if it come down to the probably the most neglected scripture in modern Christianity, in, the, in evangelical Christianity. Why? Because it doesn't fit with the grace teaching that they teach. It just doesn't fit. Hang on, what's no? That's legalism. And they even will, when you if you bring it up, they'll start saying, "Oh, well, that's legalism. What you're saying now." And I go, "Hang on, I'm not saying it. Scripture's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but you don't understand the context it's in and all this sort of stuff.' Okay, I thought I did. I've read it. I don't know how many times, hundreds of times. I've read the book of One John." countless times and I can't see any other explanation for it except no one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin as I've seen him or known him okay now we've got to keep that in context because it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins all right but what he wants to do he wants to hit home hard this is how bad sin is guys if you continue in it you don't even know him so repent and get to know him. He wants to hit at home. This is how bad it is. Jesus died to you know, redeem us from this. Now what are you doing getting yourself mixed up in it again? What are you doing? I, got you, I pulled you out of that. You know how Peter says a dog returns to the vomit and a pig to the mud? What are you doing getting yourself dirty again? Now get out of there. Come out of the mud, you pig. <laughs> and, and start living a righteous, holy life. Stop getting in there. It's dirty and it stinks. You know what I mean? And you don't feel better after it. You feel filthy. You know, you just need a shower. You need the shower and in the blood of Jesus. I always use that analogy. We've got to get in there. We've got to scrub. Scrub that stain, all those stains of sin off us. Filthy, we get filthy. Our garments get filthy. Our garment of salvation gets stained in the mud. And we get out, and no, I'm still saved. Yeah, where's your garment of salvation? I'm wearing it. But it's filthy. It's supposed to be pure white. Yeah, there's a bit of white there. You know what I mean? How could we stuff this doctrine up? Watch your life and doctrine closely. If you persevere in them, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. If you don't get this part of it right, salvation is a big thing. That's what the whole thing's for. This is why I'm doing a survey of the New Testament so that when people say, you preach in legalism, I'll say, well, watch the, my survey, will you? It's 20 parts. Every scripture, I don't leave any stone unturned. I've had it. I've had it with trying to pull up. Just, I've, I've done sermons where I've pulled up 25, 30 scriptures. And I think that's enough to establish the doctrine. No, it's not enough. People still want to give me complaints on the internet. So I thought, okay, let's go through the entire New Testament. You guys are going to be scholars at this by the end. You're going to know it. But I'll tell you, just because we're doing this topic, 
How many scriptures have we read today already in, in the book of 1 John? A lot? All right. A lot more scriptures than normal? Yep. I hope it's interesting. But it's, we're going to go deeper into the Bible than you've ever gone because we're looking. We're not going very far. I'm just going to the, you know, you, you don't go very far before you find another scripture that pertains to it. And that's the reason that is is because the, the apostles were very, very concerned with salvation. Because they knew the people that had come to believe didn't come because they were going to get rich. They didn't come because they thought grace was a coverall and you can sin and, and all this sort of stuff and still get saved. They didn't come to that sort of message. They came to the apostles' teaching and the apostles' teaching emphasized holiness and righteousness and it emphasized salvation and that salvation and the evidence of that is that you don't sin. But then they add, but if you do sin you come to the advocate who will stand in your defense. right? And how do you do that? You, you, the only way is through repentance. It's an obvious. Amen. So it's an important doctrine that we really understand. And you guys have got to really have it fixed so that when someone talks about salvation, it's clear as crystal in your mind. You're not sort of, oh, I'm not really sure what you said then about that. You know, um, you can say, no, sorry, that, that, that's completely... Fall, uh, you've just fallen so far short of the doctrine of salvation, it's not funny. Let me show you some scriptures. And you could open anywhere in the New Testament and there'll be scriptures I've preached from in relation to this. 1 John 3, 2 to 10, dear children. Um, and we'll go back to verse 6 to say it again. So no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Highlight that scripture, guys. Put some marks around it and read it often. Because it's there to keep us on the path of life. That scripture is there to make sure we stay on the path of life and that we stay connected in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And verse 7 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Why? Because there's plenty that will tell you different. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So you can't call yourself righteous if you're not righteous. It's obvious, isn't it? If you, if you call yourself a Christian, then in the, in the same breath you're saying, I'm righteous. You know, how many times have I said, if you want to ask someone, uh, if you want to ask someone what a Christian should be like, don't ask Christians these days because Christians will tell you all sorts of funny things. You ask an atheist. They'll tell you what a Christian should be like. They'll tell you a Christian is righteous and holy, or should be at least. You know, he's someone that reads the Bible often. He's someone that prays often. He's someone that attends church, is part of the body of Christ. That's what they would figure as a Christian. And there wouldn't be any, any uh, problem with their clarity because I'd think, well, that's exactly what Christians are. But you ask so many Christians these days what Christians are meant to be and they don't, they don't have an adequate answer. They have a twisted answer because they've let people deceive them. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. See, if you live in sin, you're, living, you're of the devil. And I don't think any of you want to be of the devil. And I don't think any Christian really wants to be you know, associated with the devil, to be saying, well, you know, you, you personally know, don't you, of, of, and I'm not using his name for a reason because it's on video, 
but you personally know of Christians that live in sin, yet call themselves Christians. But they're not of the Christians. They're of the devil. They really are. You could call them Luciferians. You know, because they're living in sin. They, live, they, they drink and go out, you know, till late at night, can't get to church Sunday morning because they're too hungover, so they come Sunday evening. They're of the devil, according to Scripture. Not according to Rob Carlage, according to Scripture. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're, we're Christian. If we call ourselves Christians, we have overcome the evil one by the blood of, blood of the Lamb. And then it says in verse 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. These are hard words, amen? These are hard words. If they're cut and deep, repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. This is how we know, and this is, this is the cloud of witnesses in heaven. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. If you don't do what is right, you're not a child of God. Now I know why they don't preach this in church. Because they oh, but I love getting drunk on a Friday night straight after work, and I love, I love Thursday night, you know, down at the Holdy. <laughs> Drinking a mouthful of water, sorry. Matthew, I got him at a bad time. <laughs> so you preach this message, right? Now, if everyone is holy, they just go, yes, yes, amen, amen, amen. But if, but if we're filled with stuff that we know we shouldn't do, then we'll, you know, what some people, I've had people say they come here and they feel condemned. I said, no, 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 that's because you haven't got a humble heart. If you had a humble heart, you would feel convicted. And then you'd go home and get right with God, amen? Get on your knees and say, Lord, I haven't been living the right life. They feel like they come in here and it's like being in a courtroom nearly. <laughs> it's better this courtroom than that courtroom, amen? Get convicted here. You get condemned there. You take what your sin is here, there, you're gone forever. Destroyed forever. But you get convicted here. You don't get condemned here. You get convicted. And you take that conviction and you, you let it change you. Right? But look at this. The numbers. Isn't that interesting? It's a reflection of the last days, guys. It's a reflection of the times we're living in. You know, back in the 50s, this church would have been full. No one would have walked out. They would have said, preach on, brother. That's the gospel. Amen? They would have. They come today and they go, oh, that's not the gospel. 
I don't get told that it, these sorts of things. I don't get these scriptures read to me. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. I just get taught that you vicariously stop sinning, miraculously. You know, you, you receive Jesus at, your, at, at the altar, and then after that, you know, you're a perfect child of God. And don't let anyone tell you any different. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Who's heard that? They forget the other half of that scripture that's left out of the NIV, but it's down, in the, it's down at the bottom, Romans 8. Should we go there? Yeah, Romans 8. Not just in the NIV, in, most, in, in a lot of them. Romans 8, and it says, <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does any of your versions have a little A or something there? Sorry? little X? Now, if you go down to the bottom of the page, um, and it, it says, Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Does anyone say that? It should say it somewhere. That's, anyone found that? Put your hand up if you found it so I know I don't have to keep on about it. No? Oh, I must have a really good NIV. All right. Now it says, there, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then let me have a look at your Bible. Oh, yep. Is that an NLT? Oh, it's a New King James, yeah. Well, it should say, for those who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Yours would have that. Now, what that means is this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. But then the inference is quite clear. There is condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who live according to the sinful nature. Right. So when they teach this passage out of context, and I'm going to actually be in this survey, I'm going to be preaching through um, Romans chapter 8 and chapter 7 and chapter 6. Right? Because in, within that, he goes into more elaborate teachings on what that means, that there is condemnation for those who live according to the sinful nature. And what he says is basically you're not under the law, you're under the spirit. And if you're under the spirit, you will not fulfill... Oh, sorry, if you're under the spirit, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. It says that, right? So if you're in the spirit, you fulfill the requirements of the law. Because if you don't sin, you're filling, fulfilling the requirements of the law. And the, so when it says you're not under the law, it's not saying... The Lord doesn't govern us any longer. It doesn't mean you can go out there and do 100 kilometers an hour straight down a 60K zone. Ben, next time you think of that. <laughs> Cop pulls you over. Sorry, mate, I'm a Christian. Not under the law. No, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, you, don't, you can commit adultery now, one of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't mean you're not under the law. What it means is you're not struggling to be righteous by fulfilling those things. He says, you're, you're living in the Spirit now, you just naturally will fulfill the requirements of the law because you live according to the Spirit. 
and you won't sin, according to 1 John. He says here, go back to 1 John. I hope you still got your finger there. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is uh, does not do what is right is a not a child of God. So if you're not fulfilling the requirements of the law, right? You're not a child of God. So that might sound like legalism, but it's got nothing of the sort. It's what scripture says. We must walk by the spirit. If we walk by the spirit, we will fulfill the requirements of the law and the reason that is is because the spirit cannot sin will not sin just simply won't sin and so if you're living in the spirit you won't sin because the holy spirit will not sin does that make sense i'm going to keep on bringing this home and relate it to all these scriptures 3 14 to 16 so quickly turn i'll go forward to that and it says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Amen. Because we love our brothers. That's one of the signs. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And Jesus backed that one up, didn't he? He says that if you don't forgive your brother, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So a Christian, if he has hate in his heart, if a Christian who does everything else right, yet he hates his brother and he doesn't want anything to do with him and he's cut him off and he will not forgive him and will not forgive him and he's hardened his heart to that person. He will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He is not saved. According to scripture. So a Christian is known by their ability to forgive and a Christian is known by their ability to love unconditionally I've, I've heard of read of stories of in in uh, Fox's book of martyrs and Jesus freaks of, of a woman I remember this one particular story her husband and I think a son was killed by a mob of Muslims or something and uh, she made it clear at the funeral because she reckoned the whole town turned out and she believed even the people that murdered the her, her husband and her son were there and she made it well clear how much she's forgiven them and she loves them and she wants and she's praying for them and she and this is right at the funeral so you know didn't even have to wait a year to get closure on the whole thing you know just there and then just forgive because they're living by the code they're living by the by the book in those countries they have to because they're the persecuted minority so they have to live an impeccable life because they're also an example. They can't be found doing anything wrong over there because they'll jump on them and say, you call yourself a Christian and you're, you're in that bar with that girl on your lap or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they come down hard. So these Christians are impeccable, holy, righteous because it's an example. They use it as an example to those around them that they, they're, they're of Jesus I can't see where I'm up to. This is how we know that love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now get this, 1 John 3.16. John, Bill, we've got to learn that. We've learned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now read 1 John 3.16. 
And it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So Jesus, in, in John 3.16, Jesus laid down his life. In 1 John 3.16, we lay down our life. Isn't that powerful? That's powerful. Did God sort this one out, this Bible, to make it like that, these interesting similes, parallels? All right, let's... I'm nearly finished, guys. 1 John 3, 21 to 24. It says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So if our hearts do not condemn us, if, if, the Holy, if you're living in the Holy Spirit and there is no condemnation in your heart, the Holy Spirit is... Shut, is, is uh, I suppose witnessing to you that you are holy and righteous then you can ask whatever you want and uh, sorry I'll go through that again I've lost my page again sorry about this confidence before God we receive anything from him see you can ask anything from him because we obey his commands and do what pleases him and this is his command to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. He lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And that spirit will cause us to love at a level that you know normal people don't love at. Normal people can't forgive people that have harmed them. But a Christian can. That's a, a sure sign that you're Christian. And we would love our brothers and sisters, so all of us here will be very, very special to each and every one of us. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 to 21, that's a long one. I'll try not to be too long in it. Dear friends, let us love one another, for, uh, for love com comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's like John, uh, John 3.16, isn't it? All over again through there. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. So we, we haven't seen God the Father, but God lives in us. Isn't that special? We haven't seen him, but he lives in us. We can't see air, but we breathe air, don't we? We know it's there because we, if it wasn't, <laughs> we would die. Right? We can't see it, but we breathe it. It's in us. And so he said we'll know God and his nature will be you know, through the things he's made. So air is like that. So... We haven't seen God, but he lives in us. Amen? So, do you know what, where I was up to just then? Oh, yeah, I do now. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and, he, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So by acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God. Now I believe that when it says if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, what's that saying is you're acknowledging his deity. You're acknowledging that Jesus is God because the whole concept of father son is same kind isn't it i have a human son i am a human father we're the same kind so he's as human as i am so when you say god's son you're you're saying jesus jesus is god because he's one of the same kind and that's the whole reason we get that analogy the pharisees knew what he was saying when he said i am god's son they wanted to stone him because he said, you're a mere man claim to be God, but claiming to be the Son of God. No one claimed to be the Son of God before Jesus. And this is the other thing. We've been adopted into the kingdom. So we now become sons and daughters of God. right? But not in the same likeness to Jesus. Jesus is God. But we become sons and daughters and are treated with the same love and affection God treats Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Imagine that, that God the Father will love us as much as he loves his own and one and only Son because we're adopted in. 7 to 21. And so we know and rely on the love of God, that the love of God has for us. So God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. If you have complete love, if you're completely and fully, um, uh, what's the word? The Spirit has worked in you to the point where you are full in, in, you're in where you love your, your brethren, you love God and there's that purity. If you live at that point, it's made complete in you and you will have confidence on the day of judgment. Who would like to go to the day of judgment confident? Yeah, live in love, live in love, and you'll have confidence on that day. I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm scared about that day, but I want to get to the point where I can have confidence, you know, and that would be the should be the life ambition of all of us here. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. Now some people get that all wrong. Are we not supposed to fear God? Then, no, it's talking about complete love. And I've just got a little quote here. It says, Nothing but perfect love must be allowed to cast out fear. Otherwise, this text might be made as an excuse for taking a most unwarrantable liberties with Almighty God. Right? If we, if we think we don't have to fear God, if we try to read that text as telling us that the fear of God is no longer applicable to the Christian because now you're saved, you don't have to fear God, then we're misunderstanding it. Pure love if you live in pure love with God, if your life is filled with the Spirit continuously, if you do not sin and you can walk in that confidence that you can be confident on the day of judgment, then you have no fear. It's like this. You've got a father who, um, when you do something wrong, gives you a good smack, right? And I had a father like that. He was a loving father, a beautiful father. But when I'd step out of line, he'd give me a, a wallop. So I feared his wrath. But... I knew I didn't have to wake up in the morning and get a whack just for waking up. I knew I had to step out of line. 
So I had no fear of him most of the time. But what kept me from sinning was, in, to him and to the family, was his wrath. That kept me from it. I didn't want to get a smack. <laughs> Who had a similar childhood? Yeah? I hope a few of you did. Or were you just sent to time out? <laughs> but I used to get a smack. So, um, but most of the time I didn't fear him because it, it says here clearly, you, and that's the context of this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, it has to do with punishment. If you've done wrong, fear God. But it doesn't give you the liberty to do whatever you want and not fear God, does it? I couldn't just do whatever I wanted with my dad. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us and so on. I'll just now move on. I want to just move on to just quickly. 1 John 5, 1 to 5, and it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So the moment you believe Jesus is Christ, you're born of God. What does the scripture say? That unless you are born again, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be. And this is how you know you're born again, is um, when you confess that Jesus is God and we are children of God by living God and carrying out his commands. This is the love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Did you hear that? Everyone who is born of God will overcome the world. That's not to say that you can be born of God and not um, give up your position. Choose not to be an adopted son of, and daughter of God. Because that's, that's uh, you know, when it says no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. No one can snatch you out because if you're confessing faith in Christ, not even the sword can snatch you out. They can kill me, but they'll never take me from my Lord. But you know what? He won't hold you against your will. You can jump out of the hand of God. You yourself can choose. I'd rather go and do those terrible things, so I'm going to depart from following God so I can indulge in that. Yeah? So that's there, and it says, that's why Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. But if you don't remain in me, you know, and when I use the analogy, who was here when I used the analogy of being married? Married and as in remaining. Well, you all were, most of you were. Um, and I said this, remaining in Jesus is like being married to Jesus. And he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. But if you don't remain in me, like you divorce Jesus, I'll pick you up, throw you into the fire, and burn. You get burned. You get thrown into the fire and burned. All right? So it's, what he's saying is you've got to stay married to me. You can't just get married and then go off and do your own thing. You've got to stay married. It's like that you, you wouldn't expect anything less of, of your husband or wife. Once you're married, you're married. You don't expect them to go off with other people. You want them with you. You know what I mean? So it's very, very clear. Once saved, always saved is a complete lie. It's not in Scripture, and I've never seen it in all these years. 5, 1 to 5. 
And so go back to verse 4 and it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only he, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only he. So if people say, oh, what about the good people? What about my friend? He's such a good person. You know, he's a Buddhist. Oh, he doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, it says here, who is he that overcomes the world? Only he who believes in the Jesus, the Son of God. Only those that turn to Jesus will be saved. Unfortunately, for, for many that have been deceived by these other things. And you've been very patient with me. 1 John 5.16 And it says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. And I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. This is where there's, there's gravity in sin. And there's different weights, there's different measures of sin. There is a sin that leads to death, but I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'm not, I'm not sure. It doesn't say. But there is a sin that leads to death. And he's saying don't pray about that. But all wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. So there is sin. Did you hear that? There is sin that you can commit that does not lead to death as a Christian. and Because there's, there's different kinds of sin. There's the Christians that will never renounce the faith. But they also never really walk strong in God either and live a weak Christian life, right? They, they, you know, barely live a Christian existence, but they, they are strong enough to resist doing the wrong thing um, and all those sorts of things. Who knows, it? Who knows Christians like that, yeah? They live the life, and there's, there's, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that because they're going to get into heaven, but when they get there, God's going to have a few things to say to them. You know, he'll embrace them, but he'll say, you wasted your life. You lived a mere existence for me. I wanted you to fulfill the Great Commission. I wanted you to win souls. I wanted you to pray. I wanted you to pray and see, you know, the faith spread through your community. I wanted so much for you. But you just got through. Yeah. It's the equivalent of someone in a workplace situation and they do just the bare minimum and that's all they're paid to do, so that's all they do. And they go through each day and they've been there 20, 30 years, they get the retirement bonus and all that, but they've never really moved. But then you get those that come in and they just like go for it and they do twice what that guy does and before you know it, they're in management positions and they're you know, uh, getting invited to the boss's lunch and all that sort of stuff and they're, just, they, they're different. They get close to the boss. You know, and that's how it is with Christ. We can just live a mere existence, and this is probably the challenge for you guys today. Are you willing to just live a mere existence, just living out your Christian life from day to day, or are you gonna make Him proud and bless Him through everything that you do in your day and in your week? And that would be the challenge, Amen. Yeah. Oh, is it hot in here, or is it just me? It's just me. 1 John 16. Uh, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Is the whole world under the control of the evil one? Yep, the Bible says it. So this whole world system is controlled by evil. 
and when it couldn't be more prevalent than today, it couldn't be more recognisable than today when you look at the world system, that evil runs this planet from top to bottom. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So we have that understanding so we may know him. So we may know him who is true, that you can come into that living relationship with him. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. That's what my version says. What's your version say, Andy? Does it say he is the true God? And anyone else? What version is that? Is that an NASB? Yeah, NSB. What does your version say there? Aha, uh-huh. was that King James? Yes. This is the true God. Mine, mine actually says that because people say, because the King James says this is the true God, they say, well, no, because it said this is, it's not referencing Jesus Christ, it's referencing God the Father. Okay? But the NIV sort of makes it a little bit more clear and it says, and we are in him who is true and even in his son Jesus Christ. And then it says he is the true God and eternal life. So it's specific. He is Jesus Christ. And I like that. So that, it's a really good translation in that. Remember I was saying, I don't know if I was saying it last week, but um, every translation has its, its good and bad points. That's, that's a good point of the NIV. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I love that. That's the end of the letter. <laughs> Just throw that one in. Keep yourself from idols. And um, how many people have idols in their life? You know? And it doesn't have to be a little pile of idols in the corner. It, it, it can be, you know, your car can be your idol. Fishing can be your idol. Your friends can be your idol. Restaurants can be your idol. Food. So many things that you, yeah. There's so many things that we can um, make, build idols up in our life. You know, um, kids make uh, singers and, and actors and, and so on, idols. They even had a show called Australian Idol and American Idol. You know, they're even just emphasising that. Who's your idol? <laughs> Pick your idol. Vote for your idol. It's crazy. But he says, keep yourselves. Christians keep themselves from idols. And just when you thought it was over, I'll read this one to you. Everyone's getting ready. <laughs> 3 John 1.11, and it says this, Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Did I say that? If you do good, you're from God. If you don't do good, you're not from God. So let that slap you in the face in a sense to say, hang on, if I've done wrong, I'm not of God right now. And what have we got? We've got an advocate that we can go to, and what does he promise? To forgive us, if we repent, just like any normal father would want their son to come and say sorry for the way they've lived, that's exactly what he wants from us. Is that not acceptable? You know, that's what I believe. Well, that's what I believe the scriptures say. So if you can prove me wrong, I'll have a chat with you later. All right. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for this time now. Thank you for everyone's patience. It was a long sermon, but I really wanted to finish the book of 1 John today. Lord, I pray that you um, uh, will just help each and every one of us here to assimilate what was taught today and that, that it would hit home 
and that some changes, some life changes will take place as a result and that we'll be uh, um, changed and transformed into the people we're meant to be and that we would shine for you, Lord, that we would become all that you died to make us and, uh, and that we would become a holy, righteous uh, people, uh, a people that you'd be proud of, a people that will be confident on the day of judgment, a people that will be confident and, um, uh, to meet you and know that we've lived by the Spirit, that we've walked in the Spirit all the days of our life, and we've not turned to the right or to the left, and that we've overcome the evil one. So Lord, I just pray you help each and every one of us to become all that you created us to be. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.